I am worried, I will say, about foreign policy. I'm worried that no candidate really shares my foreign policy view. Yes, because you are a hardcore realist. I am not a hardcore realist. I am like a moderate soft realist. I am willing to accept the liberal... I am willing to accept the liberal order, sir, if the liberal order was underpinned by a liberal anchor that we do not have, sir. Okay, yes. I mean... It's fair. But I mean, any version of realism is kind of still. That's. It's it's on the out and out. Cool, because I'm more of a surrealist where I just want a pink giraffe (laughs) to be president. (laughs) And I want all of us to dance on rainbows. Ah, yes. With pieces of buttered toast and. This is my kind of surrealism. I like (laughs) this. Power is actually dictated by the number of flowers that you have in a vase. middle of missouri this is this is going to be the next article that we're going to write it's going to be what would surrealist foreign policy look like and i like it then we could have impressionist foreign policy oh my gosh i'm trying to think of all of it this actually sounds kind of cool could you imagine impressionist foreign policy oh my God. Huh. <laughs> well this kind of looks global <laughs> right what we did is we put a whole bunch of dots on a board and if you walk really far back they actually make a picture This is the Orientalist Express podcast. This is a special edition podcast series about impeachment called... My Idiot Wife. And that is my wife, Hannah Hayen. Hello. I want to stress once again, the title of this was entirely her idea. Uh, In addition, we also have joining us today, Stephen Howard. Hello. All right. So in the previous two episodes, if you haven't listened to them, go back and listen to them because they're fantastic. They're the best that we've ever had. Um, We talk about the impeachment, first the impeachment process, the history behind it, and then the actual charges that have been um, brought against the president in the second episode. So in this third episode, the charges have now been formally carried over to the Senate. The president has been impeached. It is the third time in history that this has happened. And so now we're going to talk about the Senate trial, because the Senate at this point is now going to essentially hold a trial of the president and see is he guilty or is he acquitted of these um of these charges so joining us today is my lovely wife hannah who will be asking us some questions about the process and um kind of what she wants to know about it all right well i just i just really want you guys to know how much i prepared for this uh i have done absolutely nothing That's bold. I like it. I have done uh, nothing, so you guys are going to have to tell me pretty much everything. You know, and I was actually going to watch Meet the Press this morning, but I thought, you know, I can't do that because you might watch it and have some of your questions answered and then... Right. And I have, like, thought of questions over the last couple of weeks, and I have refrained from asking them until this moment. Ooh, I like it. You know know what this means, though? Uh, This means that Hannah is probably about 75% more prepared than the average Senate person at this point in time. Oof. Average Senate person? Like Senator? Senator, Senator. I call the Senate person. Senate person. (laughs) Senate person. Not Senate's man or Senate's woman, but Senate's person. Because you're woke, right? I am not. But I... I... (laughs) So uh, we we should stress at this point of the recording we um 
So the Senate has actually started the trial formally. They've sworn everyone in. Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, has kind of done his little thing. Is he the judge? He is the the presiding judge of the whole thing. And so they haven't actually started uh, the formal, like, you know, presenting charges and things like that. That's what's going to happen in this next coming week. All right. So what are your questions? (laughs) Um, So actually, I kind of want to go back. So he's been impeached, right? And now there's a trial. So I we thought that the trial led to the impeachment, not the impeachment led to the trial. Does that is that yes. it, d- Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I get what that means. I get that. Yeah. Like, so why is it that impeachment comes first, and then there's a trial? What happens after the trial? So it's impeachment, and then you have to confirm the impeachment, and that's kind of what we're at right now. So he has been impeached, and that leads to the trial. And this trial will confirm the impeachment. And it's like what we talked about, how you can be impeached, but you might not specifically be removed. This is where you're going to be, if you are impeached and they decide, yes, this is definitely correct, this is what the punishment, the ramifications are going to be. So think of it like in our current justice system, right? Like the, um, the police, the FBI, whatever, they bring charges against you. And that impeachment process is essentially the House bringing charges against the president. But just because you have charges against you doesn't mean you're going to go to jail. You have a chance to fight that in court. This is that chance for the president to fight that in court. And the reason why this is all done by the legislative branch is because the president and his top cabinet level executives, they it would be difficult for them to be charged by the FBI or something because they are the leaders of the FBI. So this is like a different political mechanism that gives them that same sort of accountability that, you know, you and I would have in the Mm. judicial system. But, um, you know, it's a way around that. So that's why that's why impeachment doesn't necessarily lead to conviction and removal. Just like if you were charged with a crime, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go to jail. You have to have a trial first. Okay, because I think a lot of people think that impeachment means he's guilty. Mm-hmm. Does, I think is, that's a very common misconception. Okay, so that is not accurate. That is not accurate. It is It is very much still a major, I guess, uh, it's a major hurdle, I guess. if It's not a hurdle you want to jump, but it's a, it is a major hurdle that uh, presidency will face because it's happened so few times. I mean... There's only been three impeachments. I, I'm pretty sure none of them were confirmed. I don't think Johnson was confirmed, right? No, Johnson was not removed by one vote. He was acquitted That's by what one I vote. Um, yeah. We should uh, refrain from using like guilty and innocent though in this context, because the president can very much be guilty of what he's being charged of. Well, it's I'm whether or not about... he's removed. Well, That's I'm... the question at hand. Okay. Because I mean, Bill Clinton was impeached for lying to Congress, for for perjury, essentially, lying under oath. And, I mean, by any objective measure, he he did that. Like, you can go and look at it, and he did. But it was whether or not the Senate believed that that was worth removing a president for. Okay. Well, here's the thing. You know, there was a whole, like, the last time we we did um, this podcast, it was before... Um, uh, specific charges had been brought up. It was before he got impeached 
like, officially. So, can we go over, like, what exactly... I, I know the charges, but just for the listeners, like, what charges or what has he been impeached for? Uh, I believe two articles were sent to the Senate. I don't remember. I don't know the exact verbiage of them. Do you have that up, Nick? I don't um, want to be incorrect on it. I don't have the exact verbiage of what they are called, but um, essentially the first one is basically abuse of power, and the second one is obstruction of Congress. Okay. All right. And, you know, the abuse of power is the whole incident with Ukraine that we discussed last time, so we're not going to go into it. Yeah. And then the obstruction of Congress would include what? What? What is What specific things happen that would obstruct Congress, essentially? Yeah, so that's kind of um, what I think, Stephen, we talked a little bit about in, I believe it was the second podcast, where uh, the president basically told everyone to not uh, comply with any subpoenas for testimony or give any documents or anything like that. So Cong- so uh, the House of Representatives, in its impeachment inquiry, said, we need to hear from you know people like John Bolton and Mick Mulvaney and all these really high up people. And State Department needs to give documents and all this stuff. And the president so, said, no, you don't do that. Do not, under any circumstances, give any information at all. So just so I'm clear, they were just going to impeach him on that one charge. But because he stepped in and went, no, don't, they got him on another charge. Um, I think that he might have been charged on that anyways. Um, just from the obstruction that he's been... I guess, throwing about in Congress. I, I It's hard to know. It's hard to know exactly what would have been sent if Trump had actually complied. Um, I'm not sure it was as much an own goal as a lot of people do make it out to be because this does give, and I've, I've talked to some friends about this, this does give uh, Trump a little bit of cover in that everyone says, well, there wasn't any direct evidence implicating them. And I mean, you listen to them and they only say they heard it from secondhand sources. And well, it's true because every firsthand source, well, not every firsthand source, we heard from a couple firsthand sources, but the majority of really crucial firsthand sources were disallowed from giving in, uh, giving their uh, testimony. So it did prevent and it gave a lot of cover because you can have that cognitive dissonance. It doesn't matter that Trump said you can't send that information over. All that matters is you don't have that firsthand evidence to them. And that's all they're going to focus on. So it's unfortunate, or fortunately or unfortunately, I should say, it's not an own goal. It is a very much a, a deft. I, I don't know what if I want to call it deft. It's very blunt, but it is a political maneuver. And, and I know that he did that during the initial impeachment proceedings, correct? But now mm-hmm. that it's gone to the Senate, and now this is a quote unquote trial, for lack of a better term, can he do that? now that it's a quote-unquote trial well here's the thing he probably won't have to so um actually let me do you want to hear about the kind of the rules of how this is all going to go down yeah okay um all rules and steven i don't know how much research you've done on the rules so far i really haven't to be honest okay here's the thing we don't we still don't know exactly what the rules are going to be yet because those are actually going to be voted on within the next few days. Um, And specifically by rules, we mean like, are they going to call witnesses or not? So what happens in the Senate trial is basically you have a majority vote to determine like 
the rules of how it's going to play out. And what it seems like is going to happen is, so the House has appointed what are called managers. And they are the ones who are like the prosecutors. They're going to lay out the evidence, give their opening statements, call witnesses, all that sort of thing. They're going to do that in favor of impeachment because they are the House who impeached. So they appointed the managers who are acting like prosecutors. Mm -hmm. The president has his own managers, which are essentially the defense attorneys in this case. They're going to present their counter arguments. They're going to try to call their witnesses, that sort of thing. So they will have their opening statements. They will present some evidence. It's the question of witnesses where we really start to get into, are they going to pass rules to allow that or not? And it's only a majority vote to determine any of these rules. So the Republicans could, in theory, since they have 51-ish vote, I mean, they have more than 51 votes, then they could just move to dismiss everything outright. They could move to not have any witnesses whatsoever. They can set the rules. So that's what we have yet to determine. But at the very least, it's more than likely that we're going to at least hear some basic opening arguments, evidence, that sort of thing. Because they do at least want it to appear like a legitimate trial and not just dismiss everything outright. But you are hearing a lot of those senators come out against um, having any sort of other tri- other witnesses. They're saying, well, we've already been sent these things. It's not for us to get more witnesses. We're just supposed to try what we've already been sent. And that gets back to the, they weren't allowed to testify in the first place. So I think it, what Lisa Morandowski or something like that, and Susan Collins and all those uh, uh, Republican senators who are they were they were supposed to be very moderate on these sorts of things and it really does seem like they're gonna come down on the that's not our job so it doesn't matter it, that more stuff's coming out right now um, doesn't matter it's not gonna be weighed it's not gonna weigh into our decision we are only going to try based on what was sent to us which if if people were following along with uh, Nancy Pelosi's kind of uh, – she kind of held up impeachment. She didn't want impeachment to go forward. She wanted to hold out on that for a little longer. You could ask why. I don't exactly know. It could be just a political calculation one way or a political calculation another. But the one thing that did happen was a lot of these events wouldn't have necessarily come to light if the impeachment hadn't uh, gone forward to where it is and also – if the impeachment trials had started for, uh, earlier, like everyone wanted, there's no guarantee that these would have come to light anywhere near this point in the trial. So all this Lev, whatever the heck his name is, mm. stuff, Lev, Lev there's Parnas. no guarantee that would have – yes, Lev Parnas. There's no guarantee this would have come out at any point in time. I don't know who that is. Yep. So Lev Parnas was um, an associate of Rudy Giuliani. Remember the president's personal lawyer? I, I know who Rudy yeah. Giuliani is, yeah. yeah. Is he going to be one of the managers? Because that would be awesome. Yeah. I'd watch that. No, and mm. actually, wow. I'm glad that, because, wow, think if that did happen. That would have been so bizarre. Never, oh, never mind. Oh, I'd watch that. I'd watch that so uh, that hard. That would be such a mess. <laughs> that would but, be something, but anyway, all right. But <laughs> anyway, Lev Parnas, very close associate, basically said, yeah, Trump directed all of us to do this. He knew it. Everyone was in the loop, that sort of thing. And then we also have John Bolton, former National Security Advisor, who basically said that he would testify now if the Senate called. Um, but that's so that's kind of the one thing that's up in the air. Will there be witnesses? Because the impeachment managers will 
probably try to call some witnesses, and it's up to the Senate to actually vote yes or no, simple majority, if they're going to have them or not. And the calculation there is uh, the House could call their witnesses, but then if they do, the uh, defense can call theirs as well. And they're more likely to call people completely unrelated to the actual charges, such as Joe Biden's son, um, probably Joe Biden, probably Hillary Clinton, just a grab bag of whoever they want to testify to just throw a whole a wrench in the whole thing. So it's kind of a double-edged sword if they want to try to get witnesses too. Well, I'm frustrated because he's not going to get removed. We know that, don't it's, we? It's it's pretty mm-hmm. likely that it's very it's pretty, unlikely. pretty likely very that unlikely. he will be acquitted and stay in office. So, why are we doing this? He won't go to like an actual trial. <laughs> he's going to go to a somewhat biased, not at all like objective trial doesn't matter what evidence they have nothing is going to come up this it's very frustrating for the everyday that's at least like what i'm Mm -hmm. getting i thought you might ask this question from this why do it it's in my personal opinion it's all symbolic the the first reason is uh it is the symbolism you if you believe that someone is going is breaking the law you you arrest them you put them on trial it, regardless of whether the court is rigged, you are going to get them and put them on trial just for the sake of saying we did put them on trial. We did try. We're not just going to lay down and let this go forward. And that's I'm not saying that one way or another that these are right or wrong. I'm just saying if you believe that he actually broke the law and that it was an impeachable offense to you, to not do it is a moral and a it is a moral and an ethical problem if you don't impeach in that case um the second is a political strategy and that political strategy is throwing a wrench in anything donald trump wants to do for the rest of his presidency um just the word impeachment knocks every it changes every single political calculation because you have to spend so much political capital on this impeachment thing you have to try to spin everything your way you have to try to get everyone around uh, the world leaders you have to convince them hey no look i'm still in charge of my country you still want to deal with me and that makes your ability to govern a lot more uh it's a lot harder to govern at that point because you have to spend a lot more political capital anywhere else and not in the governing sphere so the president might not be able to accomplish exactly what he wants to accomplish and also if he has major things that he wants to accomplish that are going to require a lot of political muscle, that's basically gone. You can't do that while under impeachment. The third reason, and I think this is probably the biggest reason why we went to impeachment, was <coughs> the very left wing of the party, of uh, the Democratic Party, wanted the impeachment. And they were howling and they were screaming and they were yelling and you had uh, people, AOC, you had any anyone on, on the very far left, and I shouldn't say very far left, because it, I guess from mid-left to very far left, screaming for impeachment. Do you think that weakened impeachment because from the very beginning of his presidency, people were calling yeah. for his impeachment yeah. without mm-hmm. a smoking gun? It's like, yeah, he's Certainly. like a terrible person. <laughs> He is. Like, he's a terrible person. He, like, has pretty much admitted to molesting women by assaulting women, essentially. 
if you walk up and grab them. Yeah, he's a terrible person. But, like, that's not an, unfortunately, that is not an impeachable offense. So people were trying to get him on everything. So it kind of weakened impeachment. And if it, and I would agree with you completely, Stephen, if it were any other president. But this is Trump we're talking about. Trump doesn't care. Trump has always, it doesn't matter if Trump is being attacked or not. He's always been defensive. He's always trying to spin things his way. This doesn't change anything about him. So I think you're right for Trump, but for the rest of his cabinet and the rest of his, uh, all his appointees, it matters very much for them because they presumably want to act rationally and they want to get something done that this is the reason why they went to office. And now whatever they want done is pushed way to the back of the back burner. And that's the Trump administration. We can't look at the executive branch as just the president. It is the presidency. And that presidency encompasses a lot of people, a lot of uh, ambitions, a lot of goals. And at this point in time, there's only one goal, and that's survive impeachment. So everything else is gone. So, But I do agree – oh, sorry, real quick. I do agree with you 100% on the people who came and said, not my president, that sort of thing. Um, I, 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 I understand where they're coming from. But to have a president walk in day one and I'm already people are saying, let's impeach him. Let's get him out of office. He's not my president. And there's really no justifying that when it gets to the impeachment trial, because at that point, the Republicans are right. You've been wanting impeachment from day one. Why are we supposed to trust you that this is the impeachable offense? So, Right, but I will challenge that a little bit because the reason why we actually got to impeachment was not because of the left wing, but because of moderates, but because it was a handful, about a dozen or so moderates in swing districts who are all national security experts who looked at what was happening and said, this is unacceptable. I don't care if this is going to hurt my reelection. We have to stand up for something. So I'm, I'm going to say that that does change it a little bit. I mean, yes, there was yeah, if, if people hadn't been yelling for impeachment since day one, it'd probably be a little bit more impactful. Um, but so in the question of why does this matter, um, Stephen, I do agree with a lot of what you're saying, basically all of it. Um, but I would actually add a few more points. First of all, the Senate has a constitutional obligation to do this. I mean, in the in the Constitution itself, they have to have a trial for these impeachment charges. So they have to fulfill their obligation to actually do it. But more than that, it's important because, I mean, to, to just give up and not let them even attempt anything at all would be playing into exactly what the Republicans want. And actually, that's why this talking point that they have is working so well, is because now almost nobody wants to even go through it because the Republicans have just said, well, we're not going to do anything, so why does it matter? And most people latch onto that and say, well, yeah, I guess it doesn't matter. Then why are we doing this? Well, we're doing this because... That is what has to be done from one, a constitutional standpoint, and two, because if you believe that these charges are as serious and as dire as as they seem to be, why would you not pursue that anyway? At the very least, get everyone on record to say that they support it. And that's part of it, too, is that essentially in the House, they want everyone on the Senate to go on record and say, do you think that this is acceptable conduct for a president? And they can either say, no, it is not acceptable and he should be removed, or they have to stand up in front of the whole world and say, yeah, it's okay to withhold security funds for an ally to get them to interfere in our election. We think that that's okay. 
And so it's getting people on record to say that. I mean, I understand all of that, but here's here's really what people want. People want Trump to suffer the consequences. And from where I am, from where we are, that's not going to happen. That's really what people want. People want Trump to suffer the consequences. So my next question is, besides being acquitted or being uh, removed from office, is there any middle ground? Is there any room for fines, for jail time, possibly? For, I see a slight <laughs> nod from Stephen. I see a head shake from Nick. <laughs> so. And I, I actually, so I was actually thinking about that when we got on today. I was, uh, I think it would be a credit to the people who want this impeachment to go forward. It would be a very big credit to them if they were willing to see their way to, and I understand the end goal of, of impeachment usually is removal from office. But if you're not going to get that, you at least want to get a guilty verdict, right? So it would behoove you to maybe lessen the penalty. Hey, we're not going to remove you from office specifically because the voters are going to vote at the election, what, next year? No, is it this year now? It's this year. So why not just say, we are going to penalize you this way, this way, this way, this way, get some Republican senators to go on and go, you know what? That's just moderate enough that I will... I will vote for that. I will, yeah, Trump is fined $2 million, $3 million, and it gets to election time, and Trump was convicted and impeached. He wasn't removed, which is going to be a problem, and you're, you're going to have to try to explain that, but he wasn't acquitted either. And so he can't go on and say, I was acquitted of being impeached. No, and that's going to be, but you're going to have to be able to convince a lot of, especially super never Trumpers, you're going to have to be able to convince them that removal is impossible, and therefore you need to – all politics is practical, and you need to look for a practical solution, and I, I'm not sure you can do that. So that's – I never actually thought of that, and that's actually a really good point. I, it is politically possible. Um, of course, let's, let's all remember though, if, even if this was to happen – he would still scream that he was acquitted and that he was completely innocent. So, and his supporters would believe him 100%. So that middle ground is a little bit shaky there, but that is possible since I think it is technically two separate votes to convict and then to remove. I think procedurally that is like a thing. So it is possible that they could strike some kind of grand bargain behind the scenes to say, we will convict, we will not remove, instead we will issue a fine or something like that. They couldn't issue jail time, but they could... Mm-hmm. Not even they, if he served after his term? Nope, that that would have no. to go through the Department of Justice under a new administration after the fact. So here's my next question. Do you foresee anything like that happening in the, in the next administration? In the next administration? Oh, you mean um, like following up with actual... Pl- um... Civil like litigation going back and, and going, criminal litigation. We are going to make you pay for what you did to this country. No, no, not at all. And I think See, that and that's, the, uh, that, I'm sorry if I sound super left wing oh. here, but that is where it gets really frustrating for people like me because yeah, we understand the politics of it, 
but I'm sorry, he did something wrong. He did something wrong. I want punishment. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I want, like, we handed this man the presidency because he wanted it. He does, he cares only for himself. And we've always known that, but now he took it too far. And we want punishment. <laughs> like, does that sound harsh or like if and- no? That's ex- so. This is exactly what happened after Nixon was convicted, or not convicted, mm-hmm. when, when Nixon was impeached, mm-hmm. or yeah. he wasn't impeached. He resigned yeah. before he specifically got impeached. But this is exactly what happened. And uh, Gerald Ford came into the presidency, and he said, "I need to get this in the quote. I need to get this monkey off my back." And that monkey was, what are you going to do with Richard Nixon? What are you going to do with Dick? Are you going to throw him in jail for breaking in? Are you going to do all this for harassing witnesses, for trying to – and no, he was um, – he. Uh, what was it? What is the word for pardoned. Nick when you get rid of all the uh, – pardoned, thank you. He was pardoned and he was pardoned specifically because – or specifically to get the country to move forward from what Dick Nixon did. Um, and that's, I, I have got him, I could be wrong, but I have got to assume that if this goes through and if there's a new president in the next, um, term, they're going to look at this and go, the country needs to move on from Donald Trump and it needs to move on from this impeachment. It cannot sit here and just flounder on it. It, we have to move on. And for that reason, we are going to pardon him um i doubt that they will try it at all to stop uh, there's a whole bunch of uh state litigation mm-hmm. going forward so there is uh I, I doubt they will try to stop that at all so i bet that if this is all convicted and if this is all true those will still be tried and he will lose millions and billions of dollars maybe jail time because of state litigation but not for federal litigation. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's I'm kind of okay with that. that's kind of where I'm at too. Where, um, <laughs> except for here's the thing. I mean, the next administration will either be the president again, which obviously he's not going to punish himself, or it will be a Democratic administration. And I would imagine that would be complete and total re-election suicide to pardon anyone involved with that. But what might happen is that at the federal level, like you're saying, they just wouldn't touch any of it because they want. They would want the country to try to move on. Otherwise, we'd be in the same problem that we're kind of in now where we're just trying to relitigate everything that happened in the past. So, And that's where you're right that there's so many state-level charges that cannot be pardoned at the federal level that those would probably be the ones that would move forward and that actually have a lot of evidence in them, especially in uh, the state of New York mm. where there is – where, you know, all of his businesses were based out of and everything. So there is – tons of charges that could be pending in that jurisdiction and only the governor of New York could pardon them. And of course, the governor of New York is not going to pardon Trump. See, that gives me a little bit of hope. It's just, he's done a lot of bad things. See, that's, but that's also and, where it's very concerning where, because surely he knows this. And that means he will stop at absolutely nothing to get reelected to try to insulate himself from that. I know. And protect himself from that. Hey, even if he's elected this next time, his president's got to come to his pre- presidency's got to come to an end sometime. True, but perhaps there'd be a statute of limitations for some of them, and and that's where we get into the question of does that matter that he could not be charged for these crimes during the statute of limitations? Does it still count? And I think it mm-hmm. probably still would. So sure, 
But some of them perhaps don't. I'm not quite sure. Right. Okay. But that's the thing. It's not just his political survival that would as at stake here. It is is the survival of everything that he has. Right. And to be 100% honest, I think that that comes back to like the uh, uh, what I like to call the African presidency question. And that's the idea that a president in Africa of an African nation needs to be paid a significant amount of money, even if their country does not um, make that much money. Because if they don't, they will embezzle. And it's it's a human kind of game theory law. If you do go after the president and put legal charges on him, um, even if he's done a whole bunch of wrong things after the fact, you're going to see the next president that comes in and does something like that. It isn't going to be a political calculation anymore. It's going to be a very personal calculation. And they might be just as willing to burn the entire system down as anyone else. And we almost want to keep impeachment at a political calculation. We want the president to look at that and go, my career will be over. I will never be in politics again. I will be shunned, but I won't be in jail for the next 50 years. And that is good enough for me. And if they're going to be in jail, if they're going to be impeached, if they're going to be jailed, you're much more likely to see that sort of the Roman Republic thing, right? Where hey, he's coming after me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to burn the entire republic down. I'm going to make this into my monarchy. Hmm. Yeah, basically, kind of like in Civil War or at the end of Civil Wars, you almost need to have an off-ramp to peace where you have to pardon the the worst of the worst because otherwise they never would have signed a treaty and given up in the first place. Right. Or if you're not not going to pardon them, like we couldn't pardon Jefferson Davis after the Civil War. So we just let him escape. Yeah. We straight up let him escape. Mm-hmm. And that was the what that is exactly what Lincoln asked to happen because he did not want to prosecute him and he did not want to pardon him. Hmm. So he'll probably um, hop on a plane to, to Moscow or something. <laughs> <laughs> Go hang out with his buddy there. <laughs> Which is also terrifying because God knows the number of state secrets he has right now. Sorry if I got a little a uh, little heated there, guys. No, no. No, it's a it's a very it's a very good question because it's if someone does something wrong, should there be consequences? And there right. should, right? That's but, and that's I think where a lot of people with similar political views as I have are frustrated about it is because it appears that from where we're sitting, it appears that Trump did something wrong, but it doesn't matter because he will never face the consequences of it. And I think that's a very good critique of a lot of the political systems in general, or even the American systems in general. Once you reach a high high enough level in government, you get a gold parachute handed to you. That's just what it is, because we can't, you don't want to impact the system. And at a certain point, you become so important to the system that if you want to break the system, you can. So we hand you a golden parachute and say, get out, but don't break the system. That's... It's yeah. a problem. It's a real problem. But too- hey, I'm, I'm holding out for those states. <laughs> those state offenses <laughs> come through. Well, and I mean, not to get too philosophical about it, but that is that is the everlasting problem of power itself, isn't it? I mean, and the American system has, I think, done a good job of kind of getting around that for as long as it has, uh, much better than pretty much any other system I can think of but it's still not immune to that reality. 
That's it for this episode of the Orientalist Express podcast. I'd like to thank my guests Hannah and Stephen for their insight and analysis and their excellent contributions. You're welcome. Be sure to uh, like and share on our Facebook page. Share on a variety of whatever social media you happen to use. And um, of course, you can always find this podcast wherever you can find podcasts. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.